0: Our scripture lesson tonight comes from the book of Judges, chapter 2. Judges, chapter 2. Hear now the word of our God. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bohim. Bohem. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods, among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, Because this people has transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers, and have not obeyed my voice... I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them, that is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. These are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines, and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon as far as Lebo They were for the testing of Israel, to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. This is the word of the Lord. i suppose in one sense this may seem like a strange passage for easter sunday but the the theme of this passage that the lord raised up judges this word went is as it's translated into Greek is the same word that refers to how our Lord Jesus was raised up from the dead now obviously in one sense judges is not speaking of being raised from the dead these judges are raised up in order to deliver Israel from their foes uh, indeed the problem of our chapter is that these judges keep dying and staying dead uh, so they' they're being raised up is only a temporary fix and yet, there is another sense in which it is a sort of resurrection. I mean, the wages of sin is death. Israel's rebellion ends in death and exile. And the way in which Judges tells this story in these microcycles of death and resurrection continues to go over and over again. We, and, and the theme of the book of Judges, as we'll see as we keep going through, is that we need a judge. We need a deliverer who will be raised up never to die again indeed we need one who will change our hearts uh, the theme at the end of the book of judges the, the refrain at the end that in those days there was no king in israel everyone did what was right in their own eyes well we need a king who will lead us to do what is right in god's eyes not simply doing what is right in our own eyes now Chapter two, verses one through five, is you might say the uh, sort of a hinge in between the the two introductions in the book of Judges. Uh, Last time we saw chapter one, sort of the historical introduction to the book. Uh, There's a way in which chapter two serves as a almost a a theological or literary introduction to the book, because chapter two will give us the the literary pattern of the book of Judges. And chapter two, chapter one showed a conquest that started off well with Judah. And then kind of flopped with everybody else. Chapter two will then give us the pattern going forward of what went, of what what the problem was, and what God is wanting to teach us. Uh, Chapter two begins with the angel of the Lord going up from Gilgal to Bochim, and and as we go through Judges, we're going to we're going to need to watch the geography, watch what's happening uh, spatially in the story, and also. Looking at, in this case, now the angel of the Lord. Who, who is the angel of the Lord? Uh, the word used here is the word malak, which means a messenger or an envoy. Uh, later in the book of Judges, Gideon will send messengers, Malachim, to the northern tribes. So the angel of the Lord is the messenger of the Lord. Uh, We'll hear the messenger of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, speaking in the Song of Deborah in chapter 5. Also, the angel of the Lord will appear to Gideon in Judges 6, and Manoah and his wife in Judges 13. So, the angel of the Lord is plainly appointed as the the envoy, the messenger of the heavenly court, who speaks for God with full divine authority. But if you want to understand who's talking here, actually, look back at Exodus chapter 23. Because in Exodus 23, in verses 21, 20 and 21, God had promised to send his malak, his messenger, before Israel. Behold, I send a messenger, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Be careful. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. Now, we've, we've seen before that God's Spirit was sent to dwell with Israel. The glory cloud that led them through the wilderness was the Spirit of the Lord. And the, that same glory cloud was which, which descended upon the tabernacle filled the Holy of Holies. So see, we've seen various points that, that that's the Holy Spirit coming to dwell in the midst of the camp of God's people. But God's presence with his people was guaranteed not only by the Spirit's dwelling, but also by the messenger of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, who speaks for God because God's name is in him. Word and Spirit. That was... The idea of word and spirit is not a New Testament invention. God's word and spirit dwelt with Israel in the wilderness and throughout the conquest. And God warned his people to heed this messenger. We oftentimes translate it angel and just sort of, oh, it was an angel. But the angel is a messenger. And the angel of the Lord in in most of the Old Testament, is no one else but the second person of the Trinity. This is the word who later became flesh and dwelt among us, but before he became flesh and dwelt among us, he was always the word of the Lord, and so he was the messenger of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, who had the name of God in him. He is God's messenger who went before Israel to guard them and guide them. He is the one who spoke to Israel, calling them to repentance and faith. And here, the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, the word, comes up from Gilgal to Bochim. Now, in Joshua, we saw what the importance of Gilgal. Gilgal was the place where Israel crossed the Jordan River and entered the promised land, where they came through the Jordan on dry ground. Gilgal was the place where Israel had been circumcised and kept the first Passover in the land. Gilgal was the place where God rolled away the reproach of Israel. But the angel of the Lord has been in Gilgal this whole time. Now, the Ark of the Covenant has settled in its new home in Shiloh. But the messenger of the Lord does not come from Shiloh. The messenger of the Lord comes from Gilgal. Because this is where the messenger of the Lord last appeared. Back in Joshua chapter 5. At Gilgal, where Joshua encountered the commander of the Lord's army. At Gilgal, where the conquest of the land was planned. And the messenger of the Lord, the the word, had been watching from Gilgal as Israel has turned away from its divine mission. And now he comes to Bochim. Bochim means... Weepers. It's not named until verse 5, after the weeping of the people of God. But the place signifies the movement of the angel of the Lord from the place of Israel's glory, Gilgal, where the reproach of Egypt was rolled away, to the place of Israel's humiliation as Israel now weeps in hearing the word of the Lord. And he declares to Israel the word of the Lord. He said, I brought you up from Egypt. And brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you. But they shall become thorns in your sides. And their gods shall be a snare to you. Israel has failed to do what God said. God will not break his covenant. God will be faithful to his covenant. But part of God's covenant was that if Israel refused to obey, if they worshipped other gods, he would bring the curses of Egypt upon his own people. There's a way in which this is the warning that God gives to his people. If you turn away from following me, then my curse will fall upon you. And the angel of the Lord says that God will no longer go before them. And as soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place, Bokim, the place of weeping. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. Now, in, in one sense, the, the people do what they should do. They weep at the message, they sacrifice to the Lord. But as we go through the book of Judges, we'll see over and over again that the people's response is usually somewhat less than it should be think about what repentance unto life is well they have some sense of their sin they have some apprehension of the mercy of god in christ they are after all offering sacrifices they have some grief over their sin but there's no indication that they actually turn away from their sin if they, if, if if they had said oh okay, we better go and take out all the altars, we better sort of wipe out, if we now go do the things that the angel of the Lord has told us that we're in trouble for because we did, but it doesn't say they did that. And in fact, everything in our text suggests that they didn't do that. And this is the point of what follows. Because in verses 6 to 10, we're reminded of what we had heard at the beginning when Joshua dismissed the people. The people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And at first, as Joshua told us, all went well. And so Joshua died and was buried at the age of 110 in the hill country of Ephraim. But then arose a generation who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel almost makes you think of then there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. (laughs) There's that, that Pharaoh in Joseph's day who had believed the promises of God and who had blessed the seed of Abraham and so had been blessed. But then there arose a Pharaoh who did not remember Joseph, who did not know Joseph. And in the same way, there was a generation that had seen the works of the Lord, believed the works of the Lord and been blessed. And now there is a generation who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. This raises all sorts of questions. Why did they not know the Lord? If their parents were so faithful, why didn't they teach their children adequately? There's actually no guarantee that teaching your children will guarantee their behavior. Now, on the other hand, some some would argue, oh, but you have to see it with your own eyes in order for it to be real to you if so then the second generation is just sort of doomed and of course so are we because it's been two thousand years since God has acted in history to redeem his people and so if if you have to see it for yourself well then you're saying that that you're not going to actually see because but that's where the book of judges is not Counseling us to despair. In one sense, it presents a tale of woe. (laughs) Um, But we are not left in this cycle of rebellion and judgment. There is hope for the future. Uh, This is why I, when I teach on Judges, I always say that the book of Judges is all about Christmas. The book of Judges is all about looking for a king from Bethlehem because that's what we are going to need. We're going to need for God to do something to bring about our salvation. And let's look at the pattern of the judges in in order to see why. Uh, The pattern laid out in verses 11 to 23, this this literary pattern has five parts, and I've given you this in the bulletin, the A, B, C, D, F. And uh, as we go through the book of Judges, we'll see there are six cycles. There's Otniel, Ehud, Deborah, Gideon, Jephthah, each of... And then, and then Samson and in each of these cycles uh, the literary pattern of chapter 2 will be used but in each cycle the literary pattern degrades the, the, the earlier cycles starting with Othniel and Ehud will, will use the full literary pattern with each part of the whole but then as we go through the book we'll see this literary pattern fall apart even as Israel falls apart the author is carefully telling his story in a way that sort of uses this literary pattern to say, see, even as my literary telling of the story falls apart, so also Israel falls apart. So let's look at this pattern and see what the... Uh, it's actually, it's, it's a little bit unusual in most of the historical books in the Old Testament that you have, you basically, the author right up front tells you, here's the whole story. Boom. In this one short compass. So pay attention to to the story. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. This is where everything starts. It starts with rebellion. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. At the very heart of rebellion is idolatry. Worshipping the gods of the nations instead of worshipping the Lord. It's called the first commandment for a reason. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, you and I probably are not tempted to worship Baal. Baal worship hasn't been around much in these days, although I'm sure, I'm sure somebody is trying to resuscitate. But we are constantly tempted to worship the gods of the people around us. There's all sorts of ways, and actually, actually, when you think about when you think about the ways that modern culture oftentimes calls us to, to sort of turn away from the Lord, to turn to the fun, the the you, you, you do what you want. That's actually very much the way in which the the ancient gods functioned. If you follow Baal, if you follow Asherah, then you sexual immorality is the way you can worship these gods. That's you. It's it's much the same in our day and yet there's the warning that God gives here because it says in verse 14 that that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them God had warned in Deuteronomy 28 that if Israel rebelled judgment would fall and God is faithful to his covenant he will do what he has promised And he has promised that if his people rebel against him, then his judgment will come. The wages of sin is death. You may think that following other gods is more fun. But in the end, it leads to misery and death. And they were in terrible distress. I mean, this is where we've often seen the way in which our, you know, our, our shorter catechism has a nice way of, of describing how the fall brought all mankind into an estate of sin and misery. Our, with, together with sin comes misery. And very often it's the, mis- the misery isn't because... It's not just because, oh, you sinned, therefore you're miserable. Actually, oftentimes the misery comes first. They were in, when you think about the distress, oftentimes it's our misery that prompts us to rebel against God. And so there's there's a way in which this it all cycles together in the and you see this in the book of Judges very clearly, and then the Lord raised up judges. Now, what is a judge? We think about in one sense, judges is like the worst word to use in the English language, because as we go through the book, you will never see any of these judges trying a case. You'll never see a legal argument in the whole book about anything. (laughs) So when it says that they judged Israel, what are they doing? I mean, Moses had said that the elders and the priests are the ones who are supposed to handle legal cases. But when they judge Israel, uh, it would be better probably to translate it, deliver. Uh, Verse 16, the Lord raised up judges. What did the judges do? The Lord raised up judges who tried legal cases and made wise decisions. No. The Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. So the judge, we might call this better the book of deliverers. Because that's what they are. Uh, and actually in, in Hebrew, the verb used to judge can have a judicial sense. So that, that's, where, that's why it gets translated that way. Because it can mean that but it can also be translated to deliver. So in that sense, governors or deliverers might be a more accurate title for the book, which of course fits the theme of the book. There is no king in Israel. This is the age of the judges, the ad hoc deliverers who saved God's people from the hand of plunderers. And yet they didn't listen to their judges For they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges, whenever the Lord raised up deliverers for them, the Lord was with the deliverer, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the deliverer. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. Because the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning. The Lord saw those who were afflicting them and oppressing them, and He had mercy on them because of their groaning. Oh, sure, in one sense they deserve their misery. The wages of sin is death. But God has pity on those who are afflicted. He does not treat us as we deserve. He sees our misery and our distress, and He hears our pleas for mercy. Now, the problem in the, the, the problem for in Judges is they relapse. Verse 19, whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. When the judge dies, the people return to their sins. We don't seem to learn from our fathers. We are just as quick, if not quicker. <laughs> To learn the bad habits and folly of our fathers rather than the wisdom and good habits, I think oftentimes parents just sort of say, like, "Oh, if only my kids would, would 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 take my good habits and my, and my wisdom and, and learn from learn from that and not imitate my bad habits and my folly. But if those of you who have kids will know this well, uh, those of you who are looking forward to kids, be prepared <laughs> because your kids will. Get all of it. <laughs> and that's where I, 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 once, I once was sympathetic to the sort of, ah, sort of if only, the, if only the next generation would sort of be raised up to do better than their father. Well, the thing is, my observation over history is that the next generation will do better than us in some things and worse than us in others. Because oftentimes they'll see our weaknesses and say, ah, we want to work on that and then they may not entirely see what the strengths were and and that's why history that's why history is the way it is we we tend to be like our fathers and yet not like them in some ways we are in some ways we aren't and so verse 20 the anger of the lord was kindled against israel and he said because this people have transgressed my covenant that i commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. This summarizes the word of the angel of the Lord we heard earlier, that the angel of the Lord comes and says... And if you think back, think back to the book of Joshua, as we saw it, when you read Joshua carefully, Joshua tells exactly the same story. Sometimes people say, oh, in Joshua you see the generation that obeyed God and did what they were supposed to and everything went well for them and then the next generation didn't. Well, but read Joshua more carefully. Remember what Joshua says to those seven tribes who... It's like, when are you going to go and take possession of the land? And it doesn't say that they then were like, oh, right, we should do that now. It says that they sort of divvied up the land, but then they kind of didn't quite actually do it, which is exactly what we hear in Judges. It's Both both Joshua and Judges are telling the same story. It's just the reason why we sometimes get mixed up on this is because Joshua has a more optimistic feel. And Judges definitely does not have a very optimistic feel. So... Because Judges is, is seeing the long-term trajectory of this pattern that's breaking down as Israel is breaking down because Israel has no king. We have these ad hoc judges who keep God raises up one, raises up another, but it, we're, it's, we, don't, we don't yet have a Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. We have all of these types and shadows of Jesus who fall short and we keep seeing everything falling apart. But verses 20 to 23 summarize the word of the angel of the Lord that we heard earlier. God decides to leave the remaining nations and use them to test Israel to see whether they will walk in the way of the Lord or not. And God often tests us. The testing of your faith is a good thing. Now, the testing of your faith is a hard thing, that is for sure. But James tells us, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Without testing, without trials, you don't really learn and grow. Now, at the same time, our trials take a very different form than those in the book of Judges. And the difference is why this is a great Easter sermon. Because the difference is all about Jesus raised from the dead and sitting at the right hand of the Father. This is the, the good news of the Gospel that we are not in the same situation as Israel. We are not stuck with deliverers who die and stay dead. We have a deliverer who has been raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father. And because Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, the testing of your faith Produces a steadfastness that endures, that is not a maybe a little bit, and then this is where it's it's when I was growing up, and I heard all these stories about you know, judges and kings, and this is the pattern for the church that the church just keeps going up, that's and I was like really, manic depressive spirituality. This is really frustrating, and then. When Dick Gaffin explained Pentecost, I was like, "Oh, we have been seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus." The the greatest revival in the history of the church happened two thousand years ago, and it's still happening. This th- we have been seated in the heavenlies in Christ. That this is this is who we really are. The great deliverance has happened. The great deliverer has come. King Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's who. And we are united to him. We have been we have been joined to his life, and so therefore, oh sure, there's lots of superficial resemblances to the to the judges, and that's why you'll hear them in the and you'll feel them because when you know, when we read the book of Judges, we're like, yeah, that looks like me. but it's not anymore. And and actually, the catastrophic collapse that we'll read about in every single story, that's not us anymore. Because Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. And therefore, actually, I mean, sure, I mean, I I study and teach church history, and I can't find a golden age anywhere in all of church history. It's not about golden ages. But this strange thing is, is that, you look at at the era of the judges, you you, you try to find where's the kingdom of God at the time of the judges? Where's the gospel going forth at the time of the judges? And you're like, eh. (laughs) Oh and nope, nope, nope. <laughs> But ever since Pentecost, the gospel keeps going forward. And sure, there are setbacks, there's trouble, there's times when Jesus comes and removes the lampstand and says, no, 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 you can't do that anymore but what happens to the kingdom of god what happens to the gospel of jesus there is i mean there is uh, there is no question that the gospel continues to go forth to all the ends of the earth continues to spread and grow in spite of us it's not because we're so great it's not because we're any different from our fathers it's because Jesus is different from our fathers it's because he has been raised from the dead seated at the right hand of the father and has poured out his spirit upon his church so that we are no longer what we once were now the opening verses of chapter 3 conclude this section by naming the nations that the lord left and and here's where we finally get the philistines mentioned Um, along with the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the the Hivites. It's worth noting that the earlier references to the coastal cities had generally omitted the the name of the Philistines. Uh, That's because, from what we know of the period, the Philistines only arrive in Canaan shortly after the Israelites. They they seem to be Aegean peoples probably displaced by the Trojan War and the, the Bronze Age collapse. But as the book of Judges continues, they'll become more and more important, And verse 4 reminds us that the purpose of these nations being left is to test Israel, to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded to their fathers by the hand of Moses. But, But they didn't. The people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. They intermarry with them. And so, yes... We do need to beware the pattern of judges, but Jesus came to break that pattern. So you don't have to imitate your fathers. It's worth noting if you, if you really want to be like your fathers, you can do that. (laughs) Please don't. It's not worth it. The pages of history are filled with the stories of people who have who chose to turn away from the Lord. It's been tried before. It didn't work in the days of the judges. It, it hasn't worked yet. And yet, I mean, this is why Mark always says sin makes you stupid, because we keep trying it over and over again. <laughs> but that's where, when you find yourself, oh, right, I'm going back in the way that my fathers walked. I'm going back. No, I need to turn back to the Lord. That's why, that's why I, like to quote the shorter catechism on repentance because repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience that when we see Jesus sitting at the right hand of the father when we see the gospel, when we we grasp what God has done in Jesus, then we turn away from the path we once walked on and we turn to Jesus. So, please do that. And let's pray. Oh Lord our God, have mercy on us. Help us because we need your grace and mercy. And we thank you that, that you did not leave us in our sin and misery. You did not leave us with this unending cycle of ad hoc judges just to deliver us and find ourselves plunged back into misery again. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for sending your only Son. Thank you for sending the messenger of the Lord, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, who who did not simply sit on high and proclaim wrath and thunder, but who joined himself to our humanity in order that he might take upon himself the wrath and the thunder, that he might bear our sin, that he might... Share in our infirmities, that he might triumph over sin and death and the devil, that he might lead us to do that which is right in your sight, that he might be the king of kings who sits at your right hand forever, enthroned in, as one who shares in our flesh, who shares our humanity, but who also as your own only begotten son from all eternity reigns with you and the Holy Spirit ever one God world without end and for this we marvel and praise you and thank you and we ask that you would have mercy upon us that throughout the coming week you would help us by your Holy Spirit and fill us with your Spirit that we might, that we might remember your promises that we might remember your great faithfulness and your love and that we would trust that you know what you're doing and so help us Lord to live the way you've called us to e- even when we don't quite see why help us to to trust you that, that, that you know and you will continue to, to bring us through these trials, through this testing, that you will continue to use this to conform us to the likeness of your Son in whose name we pray. Amen.